0: I'm your commanding officer. Fighting will not be tolerated, am I clear? Yes, Commander.
1: With your voice, soldier. Yes, Commander. November, everybody. Hope you are having a great month already. Welcome back to a brand new episode of Not a Bomb Podcast. I am your host Troy, and with me always is Brad. Brad, we're done with all the turkeys. November is is in the rearview mirror. We're one month away from a brand new year, and we're out of this crappy 2020. Uh, Are you excited?
0: I am excited, but we're doing the one thing I thought we wouldn't do: is looking back on 2020 as a cinema year that's unlike any other year we've ever had right i mean
1: at least in our lifetime
0: yeah yeah um have you have you recovered from solar babies yet
1: yeah uh, <laughs> i had to shake that one off um man what a what a way to just end an entire month talking about turkeys to kind of pick out the biggest fattest turkey we could find and discuss that one. But I'm, I'm excited about this month. You already hinted at it. A lot of people are doing Christmas-themed podcasts. Our good friend, Alex, who hosts a show on our website, Friends with Cinefits, they already kicked it off this year with uh, Nightmare Before Christmas. And Alex had our social media director, Angel Sauer, on to talk about that one. I'm about halfway through the episode, it's pretty good, but we decided to do something a little bit different and we wanted to talk about some of the bombs that happened both theatrically and also bombs that maybe have gotten a little bit more life and restoration on some pretty cool Blu-rays. So that's our theme this month is closing out 2020 with talking about the bombs of 2020, right? Yep, absolutely. So this is episode 26 and I'm kicking it off. And my first pick was a theatrical bomb. Well, sort of. It was supposed to come out in theaters, and it did overseas. But we're going to get into this in a minute. It, It had a little bit of a unique distribution in the United States. And then you're going to pick a theatrical bomb. And then both of us have lined out, how would we say it, like our favorite Blu-ray, 4K, I don't know, release of a bomb for this year. So we're trying to pick something that came out straight on home media, but then also something that was in theaters.
0: Yeah. Uh, we got some some gyms lined up for the 4K stuff. So
1: Yeah, it, it's going to be fun. Um, so today, we're going to talk about 2020's Mulan. Typically, we start the show, I don't know, with a question. Usually, if we have a guest on here, we're going through... Uh, some questions to kind of get to know them. You and I might be talking about what our favorite movie is a particular genre, but I have an idea, Brad. Why not just dive right into this sucker? Because this has a lot of stuff going on with this film.
0: Yeah, if you'd have told me when we first started doing this podcast that Mulan would be the film that I would probably do the most research on, and do like go back and rewatch the '98 cartoon and then the sequel you know i've i've invested probably way way many more hours than i'd like to admit on mulan because it's fascinating it's like an interesting story uh just kind of like 2020 in itself this is kind of the the most 2020 movie we could have because of the fact it was supposed to come out in march and i don't know about you but i believe like march 13th or 14th is when my employer said go home and you're not coming back mulan's premiere was uh, March 9th. So it was right around that time where things started to really start hitting the fans. So the timeline with this just kind of lines up pretty well with, with COVID-19 in general. So
1: Yeah, it, we will have a lot of movies, I think, next year that will come out of this year that might be considered a bomb from a financial aspect because a lot of films that did hit the theaters, they were pushed back or when theaters started opening up, they they had a small theatrical run and they didn't make a lot of money. And obviously the news, the big news from last week was that Warner Brothers said, hey, their whole 2021 slate was going to uh, their streaming service for HBO. So we're, we're by default creating a ton of bombs um, from a production standpoint in 2020. This one, wow, th- this one is so interesting. And, and Brad, both of us, had seen this before we even picked it for this week's episode, right? You've watched it and I've watched it even before we went back and just watched it for the podcast.
0: Yeah. So a little background, my son, his favorite Disney cartoon is the 98 Milan. I have seen that a hundred times, like no joke. And so there was a time in September where he was actually at home because they had lot, they had closed all daycares. So you know, the twenty nine ninety nine uh fee to buy this for Disney Plus was like a godsend for us because it was like, <laughs> hey, here's two hours where he will absolutely sit down and, and watch um, something for, you know, and leave us alone. Um, unbeknownst to us, he lasted about 25 minutes and lost interest pretty quick. Uh, so, uh, but we've gone back um, after that and he's he's seen it all the way through, but it didn't grab his attention like uh, Mulan did, and it's not because he's like we've raised this woke kid or anything like that. He likes the dragon and he likes the horse, so it's you know has nothing to do with uh, Mulan her- herself. So
1: the comedy elements of the '98, right? Yes. Okay. Well, let's talk about Mulan. So, right out of the gate, before you can talk about the films and everything that has come about from this character i think it's important to understand what this character is so milan is a fictional folk heroine from northern and southern dynasties era fourth and sixth century a.d of chinese history i'm imagining a lot of listeners and a lot of people are very familiar with the story of milan through the 1998 disney animated film that was a huge hit obviously it well let's backtrack it was a huge hit in the united states and we'll get to that here shortly but it's all primarily based on this particular character that is huge in terms of Chinese literature and most of the films and the plays and everything that have to do with Mulan as a character stem from a poem called the Ballad of Mulan did you have a chance to to read it or do any research on that
0: I, I look through it and stuff like that um, just to kind of get familiar with it
1: OK, well, a, a couple of things from that poem are different than a lot of the iterations that you see in the, in the Disney film. So just for start, some of the similarities is that Milan takes her father's place in the conscription for the army. So that's that carries through most of the literature as well as um, the movies and the plays. She disguises herself as a man. So that is is happening in all the iterations of this story. Here's where it gets a little different. So in the Disney animated films, you know, that part uh, in terms of taking her father's place in the military, disguising herself as a man and then going through a battle and then everybody discovering that she's a female and then coming back, it doesn't happen that way within the ballad itself or the original poem. The way it plays out is that she has a prolonged and distinguished military career. In fact, uh, she had about two years in training and service And then she was on a 10 year campaign fighting, uh, just fighting nomads. And what ends up happening is after really about 12 years of service, she's honored by the emperor in the poem and declines a position in the high office. So she ends up retiring to her hometown and is reunited with her family. Once she goes back to her hometown, that's when she reveals her gender to her comrades. So for the last 12 years, nobody has known that she has been a female disguised as a man. And one of the, the big things that come out of the poem is that in response to her comrades finding out she's a man, she offers a metaphor. So this, this metaphor comes from the ballad. The male hair has heavy front paws. The female hair tends to squint, but when they are running side by side close to the ground, who can tell me which is male or female? That's kind of important because when we talk about the film, that's gonna come up. In, in a visual representation but the ballad of mulan is very not very different but it has more complexity than what the disney animated film in 98 had portrayed or even in the one that we're going to talk about today from 2020
0: yeah you could see why they cut out 12 years of her being in the military and just kind of got straight to the after the big climax you know let's let's cut down on the whole time frame because you you know, I, I never. That was always one of my questions: was like, how long was this timeline from Mulan leaving the village to coming back? It always seemed like it was like four days, you know. But you know, obviously, it's not. But you know, knowing the what the I know about the ballad, it's you know, way stretched out longer than you're gonna get in the movies because you know they're they're gonna speed that stuff up.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's 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 a folk tale. This has been told on. Many different formats from stage plays to literature to films. I mean, just this year alone, there's there are a lot of movies about Milan that are in production, especially from China. Disney had, you know, the American one. Um, But what's interesting about this is when Disney decided to do Milan 2020, they specifically are remaking their animated film. So there's there's no secret. Disney's had a ton of success by going back and picking all of their animated films that just were big box office hits and trying to do live action remakes of it brad have you seen any of these or yes uh, absolutely
0: i've seen all of them all of even them. 100 even 101 dalmatians holy cow that remake yeah i, think, um, I again, think this is my first one i've got small kids so i've watched disney plus 24
1: 7 yeah i i I can honestly say I haven't seen any of the the big ones: the Jungle Book, the Beauty and the Beast, the Peach Dragon, uh, I mean, Aladdin. I, haven't, haven't I will seen tell
0: any you, them. I will tell you that you know they make when they're done well. Lion King, Aladdin, Beauty and the Beast, their box office is over a billion dollars. Right. I mean, so you know you can see when they're doing these live action remakes, they're hoping for a billion dollars. That's their goal. Um, something like um dumbo sadly not as well received i think it only made like 350 million dollars so you know they can have huge swings kind of based on the quality of the film
1: and and 350 is not small change however the production budgets for these things are pretty big right
0: yes yes um so do you want to know the production budget for milan and then i'll give you some context around the other ones yeah no Um, i
1: I think that's a good segue because disney is looking at what they did financially on the animated version because they have this this property that everybody knows very well and what they're trying to do is say well let's regurgitate it in a live action format it's it's done very well even even the ones when they don't do super big box office by the billions They come in at an acceptable return, and you know they're going to be making a lot more money just within subscription services or home media purchases, the whole nine yards. So I'm really curious how this one did in comparison to its budget, but also in comparison to the other Disney live action remakes.
0: Yeah, so um, budget for Mulan is about 200 million dollars. Um, when I was researching this, I I saw someone said it, it could have actually ballooned up to almost 3 million, 300000000 million, I'm sorry, um, but officially they've said that no, it costs $200 million. Um, for context, so these are some of the most recent ones. Beauty and the Beast had a $255 million budget, uh, Jungle Book was $175 million, Dumbo was $170, Aladdin is $183, and Jungle Book was two hundred and fifty. million. So they're spending two hundred million dollars on these remakes. Um, and, and that's hopefully... the
1: production side of things. That production. doesn't include now, marketing and
0: you know Disney too. They're not gonna just make a two hundred million dollar budget and not market it. So, you know, you could almost double some of these budgets and say, you know, if they're gonna spend two hundred million dollars on the on the production, they're gonna maybe spend another two hundred million dollars on the ad and marketing because they know that they can make, I know Lion King was like $1.6 billion. You know, you're getting, you know, even at $400 million, you're getting four times your return.
1: Yeah, and that's for tentpole movies in general. That is a rule of thumb. You take the budget, you take it times two, and that's really your break even point, right? Because the marketing and everything that they put behind these tentpoles in a lot of cases is just as much as what they spent on actually creating the content.
0: Which is, as someone who only knows financial world and doesn't know anything about marketing, I just find that amazing how you can make a movie for $200 million, but to let people know it's out there, you're going to have to spend another $200 million. Like To me, that's just insane. But I don't know anything about marketing. so
1: Yeah, no, it's crazy. And, and it's even crazier when you think about some of the films that are coming in at um, under $10 million and then making $100 million. I mean, it's all about the return on investment, right? But you're you're not going to get a top tiered actor or actress. You know, Aladdin, for example, brings in Will Smith, so they are going to spend a little you know bit of of that budget just on his paycheck alone to bring him in. So, how did this do in comparison to its budget?
0: So it's a little interesting. Again, we've talked about COVID kind of coming in um, and kind of affecting this box office of this film. Now it does release. Um, in September, China, which you would think would do well, um, it makes roughly about $40 million on its way to about $70 million, $70 worldwide. Um, again, around the September, sometimes October ish, this film is playing in like Romania, it played in October. Um, so, you know, you're looking at 70 million now, we talked about it earlier, but this thing came with a premium on Disney Plus. So if you wanted to see it on September, what was it, 4th? You were paying $29.99 for a premium, I guess, unlock of this movie. Now, the subscriptions in September did go up and Disney really hasn't said how much Mulan is made, but everyone thinks they kind of took a bath on this movie um, when it comes to just not having that theatrical run, because, you know, that's where you're making a lot of your money. And at $30 a pop, you know, I don't know how many people did it. Did
1: you do it, Troy? Oh, heck yeah, I did. It had Donnie Yen in it. The minute they I, said I, Donnie Yen and Jet Li were going to be in a film, and in order to see it, you had to pay $30 on top of your subscription, I gave him my credit card information, which is kind of funny because I don't. I think you and I kind of run in the same circles. We saw a lot of people that were basically saying it, I'm not doing it. They were going to wait till December when they could see it for free. And a lot of social media sites and everything else were just flooded with this whole, I'm already paying a monthly subscription. Why are you charging me an extra $30 kind of thing?
0: Yeah. And and again, with, you know, HBO max kind of, you know, breaking the news that they're going to do this too. To me, if I want to see if I want studios to continue to make $200 million movies, I know there's going to be a premium on that. Even if it's on the streaming side or just going to the theater, I want to see the range of $5 million budget movies to $250 million budget movies. So if I have to pay more to see something that's triple a, then I will, I, I guess that really doesn't bother me that much because I want that choice. I want there to be triple A movies, and I'm afraid, <laughs> you know, we could be seeing kind of the death of that um, with HBO Max kind of, I don't know, taking out the, the theater experience. I know that's going to be simultaneously, but to me, it's like once you take the tube out of the toothpaste, it's going to be hard to kind of get people to go back to theaters. Um, that's just my opinion.
1: No, I agree with you. I mean, it, it's really an interesting concept. Disney's not releasing the numbers. I think it's fair to say that if it made how much worldwide? I mean, $40 million in China is very low. And if it's clocking in about $70 million worldwide on a $200 million budget, that really meant that in the U.S., probably just from a break-even perspective, it had to bring in over $300 million, $330 yeah, that, million bucks.
0: Yeah, that's what I was going to say. It needed 300, $330 million, um, and it didn't get anywhere close to that. Uh, but I think... Disney might be looking at this as a long term thing and saying, Okay, but we have this now as a part of our streaming service. It's a two hundred and fifty, you know, million dollar movie that, you know, will get people to to at least subscribe to our service and then you know how it is. Once you subscribe to something, it's so painful to like cancel that you just kinda <laughs> go with it. Sure. And plus D- disney plus is what six or seven ninety nine, like it's almost immaterial to to the price so you know I, you can look at this just long term and say hey you know maybe they're gonna take this loss now um and you know kind of reap the benefits for the next five years and again accounting wise you can write this off as a lot you know there's so we'll not get into writing things off on your taxes. <laughs> this, this isn't but, the
1: accounting podcast or how, but, to, how to do your corporate taxes.
0: But you know how it
1: works. like Oh, yeah, absolutely. And, and Disney has come out and said, I mean, they released this on the streaming service. I think it was an interesting experiment. I mean, it's 2020, for goodness sakes. Theaters are closed down. The ones that are open, they're really not bringing anything in from a box office perspective that we were seeing in 2019 or even at the beginning of the year. And January is the slowest month, so even before COVID hit, I I mean, the box office returns for this summer or even right now as we're recording in November are just pale in comparison. I, I find it extremely interesting, though, that Disney now comes out and says that in terms of content watched by their viewers, it's almost a five to one ratio from The Mandalorian to everything else that's on their channel. So I'm sure they saw a bump in subscription as a result of this for those who are interested in seeing it. But we all know that Disney Plus subscriptions are driven by The Mandalorian. As it should be. Yes. As it should be,
0: because that's literally the best show they have. It's not even close.
1: Oh, yeah, absolutely. And and I'm not sitting here bashing the Disney Plus content. I mean, I have it. Hey, do you it. Just,
0: want, just want to talk about The Mandalorian for a little bit? Because I, I will. Because... Oh, my God. Oh, my God.
1: Yeah. No, we, we could spend <laughs> no, an entire know. episode on that. <laughs> so financially, it's a bomb, right? It meets that criteria. I'm yeah. curious about the critical, re- the reception from the critics and the reception from the audience with all the scores. I mean, we have Metacritic and Rotten Tomatoes and IMDb scores. Where did this thing land when it came out?
0: So critically, at 73%, I, I think that is pretty high for this movie.
1: That surprises me.
0: Because it is such a departure from the 98 source material. Um, Most of the live action remakes have stayed pretty close. Um, And I even saw someone say most of them have actually even stayed in the genre. This actually like changes genre and goes from a G movie to a PG-13 movie. So A, we're, we're moving out of like family comedy into like a straight action movie. And we're going to PG-13. So we're like completely changing kind of the trajectory of this film, um, which I find very interesting. And a, a part of me kind of applauds them for doing that because I've seen Mulan, the cartoon. And if you want to change it, I can still go back and see the 98 version. Let's see it in a different way. Like that was my, my thing with like the Lion King. It's like, it's almost shot for shot. Well, that's, exam- that's why
1: I have not seen any of the other ones, because every time I see the trailer, it looks shot for shot to the yeah. animated version. And when I hear people talking about it, all they're talking about is the comparison to the animated version. And to your point, it's the same genre. If it's a musical, they're bringing the music over, maybe adding some type of remix to it. They have not enticed me enough to go out and, and spend time with those. Whereas if we're going to sit down and talk about The Lion King... At some point, I, I am interested in seeing, what was it, John Favreau directed it. I, I would like to see that interpretation of it. But if I've got two hours and I really want to watch The Lion King, I'm going to go back and watch the animated version. Yeah,
0: because you have Jeremy Irons as Scar, so that's all
1: you need. Absolutely. And, and I love the 98 Milan. It's one of my favorites. I'm, I'm right there with your son. If Jet Li or Donnie Yen weren't <laughs> in this film, I probably would have still, this still would have been the first live-action remake I would have seen simply because it looked different enough.
0: Yeah. And again, it's, it's, you know, their whole swaths of characters gone characters added. So, yeah. So a lot of the, you have to remember a lot of the audience score is going to be whether or not you're okay with them changing it. So the audience score is 50%, which I think is spot on, spot on. So (laughs) it's your, you're either okay with them changing it or they changed it. They did. They took out Mushu, and you can't handle it. Like, that's literally how all the audience, like, okay, Mushu's not here, I hate it, or Mushu's not here, but it's still fine. Like, that's literally everyone's review. That is Um, the most
1: accurate score, I think, of a film out there, at least of the people I talk to when we talk about Mulan 2020. You really do fall into two camps. They don't have any of the music, and I hate it, or they dropped some major elements, it became a different film, and they enjoyed it. There's... It, it really is just right down the middle.
0: And you could and you could see the critics kind of being okay with the changes um, because, and, and again, we'll, we'll get into this later, but you can see where they spent the money on this. It, uh, it definitely looks like a $200 million, a film. Um, but I, I found some of the reviews I, I, I thought were kind of kind of perfect on both sides. Okay. So this one says with Mulan, Disney shoots more than a shot for shot remake of the past. through the result is a little clunky at times, but compelling enough to justify its existence, which I think is pretty spot on. Sure. Um, This one, uh, a live action remake as flat as the surface of a wooden sword, which is immediately weighed down by a dull and predictable narrative that quickly affects the parable about identity, gender equality and female empowerment. So wooden sword wooden sword. I I don't,
1: well, I could, I could understand it being predictable since it's based on a poem that's been around for hundreds of, I don't know, when, whenever Ballad of Mulan was written Uh, (laughs) a long time ago. Yeah.
0: Yeah. So, yeah. I mean, again, are you okay with the changes or are you not? That's essentially how things, and I don't know. I'm not okay. When I come to something for a review and even if it has source material, I want it reviewed based on the merits that it has now, not compared to what it was.
1: Oh, we're going to we're going to get into that, buddy. OK, so I agree with the 100 percent now behind the scenes, the the people who made it and the people that are in front of the camera, Jet Lee, Jackie Jan will talk about that. They're in front of the camera, <laughs> the director, screenwriters, uh, any any familiarity with any of them. Let's start with the director, Nikki Caro
0: caro um the only film i am familiar with her is the whale rider from 2002 um, yeah um i saw that and then i i didn't see like uh zookeeper's wife or anything like that so that is my only experience with her and when i saw her limited filmography i was shocked that they gave her 200 million dollars to make a movie
1: i, I was too and this type of film because R- whale Rider in 2002 north country in 2005 uh Charlize theron drama uh, mcfarland usa which was a disney property sports film and zookeeper's wife in 2017 if you look at her filmography two things stick out one it's limited b none of the films are a 200 i, I guarantee none of those films are over a hundred million dollar production no the,
0: the scope is like microscopic compared to this movie
1: yeah and and I can understand pulling somebody in with some dramatic elements, but for a historic uh, or period piece that has a lot of action to it, this type of director kind of shocked me. And, I, and I, can't, I can only judge her on Milan 2020. I am curious to go back and see Well Rider or even North Country. Those, those are the two out of her filmography that kind of pops up that goes, oh, that looks pretty interesting. A- anything else on there really doesn't do it for me. And then screenplay-wise, we have Rick Jaffa, Amanda Silver, Elizabeth Martin, Lauren Hynek. Here's the thing that kind of shocked me about this one. Four screenwriters on something that is a remake of an animated property that you already own. That, that seems a bit of an overkill. I, I feel like they weren't sure what to do with this movie, and so they were bringing a lot of people in to help out with the narrative.
0: Yeah, anytime, I, anytime there's a movie that's not an original property and you see four, anytime I see like two or more screenwriters, uh, it kind of, you kind of start maybe waving the red flag a little bit because it's too many cooks. And then you can already see like, Oh, they don't know what they want to do with this. And they're trying to throw as many ideas at the wall and just see what sticks. Yeah.
1: Vision by committee. Right. I mean, absolutely. We don't necessarily have an artistic vision and we're trying to take property and adapt it. And it, and it will become an interesting fact here in terms of how they came to the screenplay they use. But before we get into that story, you and I are action junkies. So we're, we're thinking you got Jackie Chan, you got Jet Li, you're going to have some amazing fight choreographer or some tactical technician behind the scenes that just dazzles everybody. I, I went to go look at this and I couldn't find a name that stuck out. There were three fight coordinators that were listed within the credit sequence. Heidi Moneymaker, Nuo Soon, and Shane Yan. All of them have some type of experience within stunt work and have done fight choreography for a couple of films. Heidi Moneymaker, as an example, was on Furious 7, Captain America Civil War. She's Black Widow's stunt double, as a matter of fact, or, you know, yeah. Scarlett Johansson. Scarlett Johansson, yeah. Uh, she worked in Wolf Warrior 2, which is a Wu Jing film. It was really huge in China. Uh, and she also had a film. Uh, or worked on a film that came out this year, The Hunt. That was uh, early 2020. New Sun did stunts on Expendables 2, Red 2, John Wick, Deadpool 2, and Shane Yan, Birds of Prey, John Wick 3, Skyscraper. So this team knows their action films, but none of them stand out as somebody that really... I, I don't know about you. I, I look at these names and none of them kind of go... Oh, I I know exactly what I'm getting with these names, the way you would with you know Yunwu Ping or, or something of that nature.
0: Yeah, why are you not, why are you not taking you know five million dollars of your huge budget and saying, let's go to Hong Kong and find somebody who knows how to stage action?
1: Yeah, it it's curious. It, I I think. We'll get into this in a minute. I don't think... Oh, I'm
0: sorry. I'm sorry, because they're not white.
1: I'm sorry. (laughs) Yeah, well, well, uh, I'm assuming Nual Soon and Shane Yan are um, of Asian descent. But you point out the thing that we're going to talk about in a few minutes when we talk about the controversy of this film. Everybody behind the scenes is white. It is a Disney film. It's an American production. And everybody behind the scenes appears to have one particular color and one particular background, and for a film that is based on The Ballad of Mulan or your animated property, you kind of would have thought you would have had somebody with some type of familiarity with this material, but that doesn't appear to be the case with Mulan 2020.
0: No, No, not at all.
1: Now in front of the camera, what is interesting is you have an entire Asian cast. I know Disney is kind of touting the next Marvel film um, Shang Chi next year as really having a lot of Asian representation. But you can't deny that, okay, behind the screen, we'll talk about that. It, it might be problematic, but in front of the screen, you have some fantastic actors and actresses. And we start with Yi Fei Lu as Milan. Is there a white person in this movie? I don't think so. Not not I don't in think front so. of the camera. Yeah. 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 And, and Milan herself, I don't. I don't know if you know her. The, the, as soon as I saw her, I immediately remembered her from 2008's The Forbidden Kingdom. She played Golden Sparrow. So that's the Jackie Chan oh, yeah. and Jet Li film. She's really good in that too. Uh, she's she's one of the highlights. And of course you get Donnie Yen as Commander Tongue. We spend, uh, I we're 26 episodes into this and the amount of time we spend on Donnie Yen is frightening. So we're going to success. That one. Yeah, go success. Go back uh, you know a couple months and you can hear all about Donnie Yen month. Li Gong as Xianyang. Um she is an accomplished actress. I mean if you're if you're talking about somebody that brings some dramatic weight in front of the camera, she's been in Farewell My Concubine in 93, To Live in 94, Temptress Moon in 96. Memoirs of a Geisha in 2005, which was Ooh. a bit of a big hit over here. Big hit, yeah. Miami Vice in 2006. Curse of the Golden Flower in 2006 with Chow Yun-Fat, which is a fantastic film. Um, she's even done things like Hannibal Rising in 2007. So, uh, Lee Gong, it, she's just fantastic. I, I love her as an actress. And, and she's one of those names, as soon as they pop up, I'm immediately interested. We haven't spent a lot of time. We talked a lot about Yen and Jackie Chan. But Jet Li is in this film as the emperor. It took me a second.
0: Uh, like, I knew he was in it, and I knew he was the emperor, but, like, I was like, oh, is he – he's not that old yet, right? Like, he's not he's – not, he's not, like, 80, is he? And luckily he's not, but – No, know, it's, no. It, it's,
1: he, he looks good as an emperor in terms of full yeah. makeup and stuff because he is unrecognizable. <clears throat> but if you see him in real life even today, obviously they, they did a lot of uh, practical effects on him. And then Jason Scott Lee as Boycon, so everybody knows Jason Scott Lee from what film, Brad?
0: Uh, le- was it Legend? Legend? No, what was it? Oh, Dragon, the, the Bruce Lee story. Dragon,
1: Sorry. the Bruce Lee story. I think that's where Jason Scott Lee just really hit it, and he played Bruce Lee. Now there was a lot of controversy around that film when it was released, and I think we both know it's it's just not accurate whatsoever. It embodies the spirit of Bruce Lee, but you can't look at that film and go. That that is that really hits on all the uh, the true events of his life.
0: Yeah, it was really good to see him on screen. You know, because again, we know him from that, and he's had a pretty good career. Um, but it's just nice seeing him because I, I I like I like him a lot.
1: Yeah, and he's he's no stranger to action films. He, he's also done the he was in the Jungle Book in '94, which again was not a shot for shot remake of the animated jungle book but it, it was more as a you know serious adventure film for disney
0: oh yeah that's right they've remade jungle book quite a bit
1: yep and soldier in 98 which is a personal favorite of mine with kurt russell and i, I don't know if you've seen this but the crouching tiger hidden dragon sequel that was called sword of destiny which also starred michelle or uh was it michelle yo i know donnie yen's in it i think michelle yo's in that one too yeah, I think so. And he's he's a villain in there, and he's he's really good. So the, he's, yeah. he's worked with Donnie Yen before, and he's also been in this type of role before in terms of an action film. We got Tsai Ma as Zhao, which is Mulan's father. Uh, Yosanan as Hongui. Uh, he's kind of sort of love interest to in Mulan. That doesn't really go anywhere, thankfully. And th- the last person I want to bring up, and this was just a huge surprise to see on the screen anytime i see her on the screen i'm excited Uh, pei pei chang you know who pei pei chang is i don't okay pei pei chang you might know her from crouching tiger hidden dragon you would also so she was uh also in a lot of films like golden swallow the golden sword and come drink with me so pei pei chang is one of the premier martial art actresses from the 70s had a resurgence she okay. is big time famous. If you're a martial arts junkie, and it was it was fun to see her as the matchmaker. I she's mean, a matchmaker. Yes. Okay, gotcha. She's gotcha. she's not doing any of her traditional fighting and stuff like that. But if you can go back and if you've seen any of the old Shaw Brothers stuff, if you've seen the King Hui stuff, or you know Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon, she's she's the main villainess in that too. Uh, she's she's a fantastic actress. So that that's all the people in front of the screen. And and I got to say, if you're going to do a film like Milan. And you put that cast in front, I'm in. That that's a fantastic cast, in my opinion.
0: Yeah, a plus. Like, yes, yes. Like your marketing right there is, hey, look at all these people we have, and you know, and and Donnie obviously gets to his foot in the Walt Disney door because of you know Rogue One. Sure. So it's it's good to see him kind of, I don't know, get paid, you know, because he deserves
1: it. Yeah, he's a good actor. I mean, everybody in this cast is good. Even Yi Fei as Mulan, a little bit of trivia about this, 90% of all the stunt work of Mulan was done by her. So they clearly were seeking out somebody for that role that could do the horse riding, the sword fighting, the martial arts, the battle scenes. They found it in her and she has good presence. We'll talk about that in a little bit um, later when we get into our thoughts in the film. There are a few things that I think is a, is a miscalculation on that end. But I think going into this film, looking at everybody's that is going to be involved from an acting perspective, that, that's a pretty good cast to start with. And there there are a couple that really stand out, in my opinion, especially in the performance of this film. The other bit of trivia before we get into what I'll call the controversy of the film is that this film was primarily shot in New Zealand. There were only a few scenes shot in China, and of those scenes shot in China, we'll get to that, it created a bit of a stir (laughs) but let's start with our main actress and protagonist milan and specifically talk about yifei's comments around the time that this film was going to come out so brad are you familiar with this story i am i am you want to kick it off
0: uh apparently she likes police brutality (laughs) what else do you want to know
1: Yeah, in a nutshell, she made some comments supporting the Hong Kong police and it sparked some criticism of her in the film. And as a result of these comments, they quickly... Hashtag
0: hashtag boycott Mulan.
1: Yeah, it it called for boycotts among Hong Kong pro-democracy protesters, as well as Thai and Taiwanese activists. So a little bit of background. There was a post on Weibo, I think is what it's called. So Weibo is the equivalent of like a Twitter... Yes. Yeah. Because Twitter's
0: obviously censored in China.
1: Yes. So no Facebook, no, no Twitter, but you got Weibo. So when you have all these pro-democracy protests going on in Hong Kong and, you know, we've talked about this in the past, too, on previous films. When we talk about, you know, Chinese film industry and what's going on with the politics of that country. But while these protests were going on, the police were going in and, and really cracking down pretty hard on these protests. So one of the things that she did, though, is she went on Weibo and social media and she says, I support the Hong Kong police and you can all attack me now. What a shame for Hong Kong. So this is at the height of the anti-government demonstrations over the Chinese extradition policy. And that was a big no, no. So like you said, everybody was trying to boycott this film and she is not an unknown actress. So she had a lot of work in Chinese film and was very popular. So this was her big role, though. It's going to be a big international role, give her tons of exposure. But as a result of those comments, everybody came down hard on her.
0: Yeah, I I read where she was kind of being pulled in both directions there in a bit, you know, trying to stay, I I don't know. I just saw where, you know, it it was like this tug both ways, like you were saying, you know, she's, sorry. I, you know, it, it was just weird that she came out and said it, and then I never really saw like any sort of follow-up or apology or anything like that. So do we know, did she ever say anything else after that? Or I think it's one of those just... things
1: as soon as when you put your foot in your mouth and you go out there, your next move is to not say anything and fall off the earth for a little bit. <laughs> Jackie Chan's done it. He's He said some pro-government stuff that has gotten him in hot water when he kind of criticized democracy. And he hasn't come out and apologized for it. But I mean, let's face it, you've got a lot of movie stars out there. It's it's super popular, I would say, in, in American cinema to have somebody who go out and profess their political belief. And for social media, doesn't matter if you're right or left, to go after him, whatever that belief is. If, if that belief doesn't line up to what you think, you're going, always going to have that audience go out there. I will say us living in the United States that if you have a communist country and you have a group of people that are staging these riots and you've got a big major motion picture coming out I don't know if you want to go out and stir the pot that close to your release
0: probably not I'm sure Disney uh saw that and was probably not too pleased about the type of attention it was getting because it uh I remember it was huge, it was huge. It was Uh, big,
1: yeah, because she's she's a well-known actress and she's got her big international break coming out. And I have to assume that taking that stance and having, and I don't mean this in a derogatory way even though it's used from a derogatory perspective, but anytime you hear social justice warriors I think is the term on it, you have a lot of people who are socially conscientious over certain causes and when they see this, and if it's going on in your country, you can obviously see that having those type of comments may have affected its box office return. Because to make $40 million, I think is what you said, on a property that is geared towards your audience, that's pretty low for the country of China.
0: Yeah, I mean, again, supporting police police brutality might be a, a bit of a stretch that uh, I'm not down for. So, you know.
1: Yeah, no, I, I'm not <laughs> either. And especially with all the stuff that's going on in this year. Yeah, it, It's not the thing you go out and say it yeah, it's a...
0: again. Again, I think it hit home here as well because yes. we were turning the TV on and seeing police brutality large scale. And here she is saying, Hey, you know, I'm cool with that. And you're like, I'm not going to see your movie. So,
1: yeah. And, and I totally understand that. Like that, that to me is a perfect response for somebody who says, Hey, I'm an artist. Come support me. And then, Oh, I'm going to share you my views on police brutality. And you're like, nah, I just, I really don't feel that way. Right. So, yeah. Now, another big controversy. This thing's littered with them. So the film drew scrutiny for filming in Xinjiang, a region of China, where two million Muslims have been detained in mass internment camps. Now, keep in mind, majority of the film was shot in New Zealand. And the scenes that they did shoot in working with the Chinese government, they put them in this area where it was drawing a lot of news for the treatment of Muslims in this particular area. So this was part of Beijing's plan, what was going on in this area. It was part of Beijing's plan to re-educate Muslims with communist doctrine, yeah. okay? And, and this is standard practice over there. You, you have to understand that's exactly what they do. So China has been systemically repressing its Muslim minority in that region. It's subjecting men and women and children to torture. There's sexual abuse, forced sterilization, um family separation and brainwashing. This this is all yeah. documented stuff it's, that's going on.
0: It's pretty I mean it's, it's crimes ugly. against humanity. Absolutely. I mean, yeah. And it's, it's all
1: condo- it's all condoned by the Chinese government.
0: Yeah, you look up genocide, you it's it's yes. this right here. Yep. Um I I will I will say when I was looking into this, I did see and I'm not obviously I'm not not coming out and saying, "Oh, it's okay because of this," but I did see where when you film in any sort of country in your credits, you're always supposed to thank that country. And I think that was another part of it is, Hey, not only do we film here, but here's a credit at the end of the movie where we kind of thanked you and said, Hey, thank you for, you know, letting us come shoot here where you're, you know, potentially murdering millions of people. Um, but thanks. Um, and, and a lot of, a lot of Republican senators came out. and was like taken dizzy to the task. Like, you know, are you all getting money from this? And it's like, oh, all of a sudden they care about Muslims, but whatever. <laughs> but anyway, anyway. Um, no, right. you're,
1: you're spot on. I mean, when you go to the government when you go to the Chinese government, and we talked about this, and we're going to talk about it again tonight. You go to the Chinese government and you go, we're going to film Milan. We're not filming it here. Like, most of it's done in New Zealand, but we do need to get these shots done. The government's going to tell you where you can film based on what your request is. Yeah. So – Let's let's just assume Disney had good intent here. Disney did not go to the government and say, you know what? Where are you committing genocide? Because that's going to make a great backdrop for our retelling of this animated film. That's not how it went down. You go to the government and the government says, you can film here. And to your point, within the credits, you're going to thank the government that allowed you permission. But that's where they got in trouble a little bit because the film credits specifically praised the police security in Turpan, a city with the larger Muslim population where all this stuff is going on. Yes, yes. And what didn't help is all of this stuff is going on. So they they film part of this here within um, this city where really genocide's going on. And a lot of people start picking up on the depiction of the villains within the Disney film. So keep in mind, one of the things that they did this time around for 2020 is they changed the villains. They made it more historically accurate. So the villains are the Rorans, um, which are proto-Mongols. They're tribal confederations, nomads. And that is the group that would have been invading at that time period. So yeah. they did try and make some historical correction for this particular movie. However, <laughs> this this is where, again, you just, you couldn't, I don't, you, I don't, you can't plan this stuff out, but the villain in the new Disney film leads a group of assassins and they're trained by Gong Li's character, the witch. And these group of assassins really do, are, they're dressed in black. They, they are supposed to look like ninjas, but they look like they have some Muslim attire to them as well. And so you saw a lot of articles coming out by saying, well, not only did Disney And again, I think these articles are a little bit of unfair. You know, they're saying Disney went out and filmed in a location where they're treating the Muslims this way, and then they come back and thank them within their credits. And oh, by the way, look at these assassins, these special trained assassins, um, because you had in in this, I'll give you an example. Darren Butler, anthropologist at the University of Colorado uh, Boulder, says the characters are dark skinned, wear turbans, and are dressed clearly like ISIS terrorists, hence the film is also propping up Islamophobia. They're basically saying that this film and its villains and its depiction of the villains is supposed to make everybody afraid of, of the Muslim community.
0: Yeah, I noticed that before I even heard that. Like, in and so if my dumb brain can pick up on that, um, just watching it in my living room, um, someone smarter than me and who is kind of in the weeds on that can pick it out. I, I think it's obviously there. And it's not just something people – because, you know, a lot of times people are looking for controversy. This stuff is, like, out in front. Yes. Um, They're not hiding it. Um, Again, some of the stuff's in the credits. Um, There's, you know, four, you know, Chinese state propaganda parties uh, listed in the credits, too. So they're not hiding any of this stuff.
1: And, and again, I couldn't tell you if the Chinese government came back and said, oh, by the way, your villains – they have to have some type of Muslim attire in order for you to you know, distribute this film. Again, I don't think it went down that way, but I do think it's a lot of people working behind the scenes. When, when you don't pay attention to historical accuracies or pay attention to what's going on, this kind of stuff is going to happen, right? And again, some of it is in your control. Some of it's out of your control. I would say the costume design and those things, that might have been in your control. And uh, you, hey, <laughs> you, that one's on you, man. That that You can't blame the government on this one maybe, maybe. <laughs> i don't know again china could be out there and go look all villains have to be muslims i don't think that happened but and, and brad just when you think that okay you couldn't have enough controversy no man we're we're just we're at the halfway mark here so you got your main actress going out there and saying she supported you know the police at a time when the police were beating up the citizens you've got disney filming in an area where muslim genocide is is really occurring when you read about Mulan in 2020, there's a term that pops up a lot, and it's called cultural appropriation. Brad, can you define cultural appropriation?
0: <laughs> oh, no. No, no, no. Um,
1: no. Okay. So I, I went on the internet. Internet's my friend. And so the first definition I come across is it's the adoption of an element or elements of one culture identity by members of another culture identity. This can be hurtful and economically damaging when members of a dominant culture appropriate from a disadvantaged minority culture. Another definition I found was cultural appropriation involves a dominant culture group, in this case, white Anglo-Saxon Americans, taking cultures of minorities, usually without minorities' consent, and exploiting it for financial gain, specifically for the dominant group, oftentimes excluding the minorities they've taken it from.
0: Okay. Gotcha. With me? I'm 100%. Okay. Now, the
1: 1998 one was not without its controversy, especially for cultural appropriation. So you talked about some of the changes that this film in 2020 made. It made them as a result of some backlash it was getting. One of those was cultural appropriation. The other thing was, um, you talked about the tiny dragon Mushu. So the dragon is a sign of respect and strength and power. And using it did not play well with the Chinese audience at the time of the 98 release. And that's why Disney said that it was not going to include that character. Another thing was Li Shang. So Li Shang in the animated film was Mulan's commander. Commander. Yeah. And ends up being her potential husband at the end of the film. Yes. So, in the wake of the Me Too movement, it would be inappropriate to have a character that is both Mulan's commanding officer and love interest. So that's why you know that particular character was sort of broken up and split into two people.
0: Yes. Did you also see that he was like a like a gay folk hero in a way? Because I, I had read somewhere where. People thought that he and Ping actually had a romantic relationship with each other. And, you know, here's this band, strong, um, you know, not openly gay, but you know, into Ping. Yeah. And they get rid of it. So
1: Yeah, it's it's weird. Um the cultural appropriation, I don't know. When I look at that definition, there are a couple of things that pop out. It's I'm the, dumb. <laughs> I'm well, dumb and don't know it. <laughs> yeah, I I don't know. Yeah, Uh, because I think we fall into the um the white Anglo-Saxon portion of it. So I don't. I I you look up
0: you look up white guys. You and I will probably be like the first. We're on the first page of the of the web result.
1: Yeah. Um. I don't know. I mean, part of a cultural appropriation is that it has to be a dominant culture from a disadvantaged minority culture. If if you're using China, and you're building a movie from the ground up for Chinese audiences, and you're working with the Chinese government, is that cultural appropriation?
0: Uh, yeah, I don't know. I mean...
1: Because you're, you're, you're doing it with the permission of the government.
0: Yeah, but are they the ones... Are they the dominant force?
1: I don't know. That That's what confuses me. Yeah. I, I would love for somebody smarter to kind of sit down and tell me that with the relationship, when we talk about how this movie was built from the ground up. And we'll get into a little bit more detail when we talk about the cultural and the historical inaccuracies that are kind of thrown at this film. One of the things that sticks out when you talk about a cultural appropriation, I don't know if that one sticks as hard on this film, simply because yes, lots of white people behind the camera, but any movie that is gonna have distribution in China and you're gonna shoot in China, you're gonna get your script approved in China. You're gonna work with the government and make sure that they sign off on everything that's gonna be in your film. And if they don't like it, you're not getting released over there. So could, are they exploiting the culture for financial gain? Disney, uh, name a movie studio that doesn't do that. So by by default, every film studio is, is probably accused of cultural appropriation. But I, I mean, that's
0: why we got five Transformer films, right? It's like they made those films specifically to play well in China. Yeah, Fast I mean, and Furious is huge in China.
1: Yeah, we've talked about this. You, you've got to the point now where Hollywood, uh, and and this will be even more prevalent because if you look at somebody like Warner Brothers, who says, is "Hey," was that look, Judd
0: Judd Apatow?
1: Judd Apatow's pointed this out that the Hollywood studios are really bending over to appease that market. And in order to appease that market, you are directly having to appease that government. That's just the nature of the game. <clears throat> but what happens when you have a bunch of white people behind the camera, white people writing the screenplay, white people doing, I mean, you're gonna have historical you might, inaccuracies. You might get some things wrong, yeah. You're gonna get a lot of things wrong. So let's let's talk about some of the things that this thing gets accused of. Right out of the gate, use of a southern-style house when Milan is likely from the north. This one <laughs> popped up like crazy as soon as the trailer hit, right? Everybody know, was going I after so, this thing.
0: I saw this one, and I was like, um, again, I was like, guys, it's 2020. I don't know if maybe worrying about what kind of house she lived in is our biggest worry, but okay, here we go.
1: Yeah, um, another one that I hear is a is the depiction of Qi um, or chi. As an owner that only boys should wield when, in fact, there's no gender restriction. Now, we're going to get into that, but that's yeah. one of the plot points. And you hear this as, well, that's historically inaccurate. I don't I don't think that's inaccurate. I think it actually plays into the story. I don't think the movie because is saying that it's only restricted to boys. Within the film, it's basically saying it flows through everything, but boys are only able to show it. Culturally, right? Culturally, like, correct. Okay. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Um, so she is supposed to repress She is her... supposed to repress it. Okay. Yes, to hide it. The makeup and costumes are ugly and uh, inauthentic. You hear that a lot um, for that time period. Um, another one, and, and I do agree with this, is China doesn't have witches. Now, they have other variations, shape-changing, spirit animal. They don't have the concept of a witch, a witch is a European concept. There are other supernatural elements, but a witch per se isn't necessarily that, that is more European than it is Chinese. So that's another, I would say, brick that's lobbed at the film in terms of historical or cultural inaccuracies.
0: I took that more as like a semantic sort of thing. Like, obviously, like, yes, China doesn't have witches, but like, we need to call it something yeah. that people are going to understand the easiest thing to do is just call it a witch. Yeah. Um, Sorcerer, sorceress might have worked. I don't know. But yeah, witch is just kind of end-all, be-all sort of thing. It's kind of like everyone calls bourbon, you know, you know, whiskey, and then everyone calls whiskey bourbon as what well. You know, they're interchangeable at some time, So Yeah,
1: and, and you're talking about a film done by a major studio like Disney. They're going to use language or they're, or they're going to use lexicon that is probably more universal, and good, bad, indifferent—I don't know what you call it, but I, I don't know. At, at that point, I think we're nitpicking, but it's out there. It, it comes up quite a yeah. bit. Yeah,
0: no, I, and, and and again, I think us as white guys might not be able to completely understand. You know, if if someone is getting things wrong that we feel is like, oh, if 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 my ethnicity or my culture was able to assist in the process of making this film, these mistakes wouldn't be made. And then all of a sudden you're like, it's just like a domino effect. You're like, okay, then they got this wrong. Then they got this wrong. Cause it's just a bunch of white people. And you know, we're not having any representation with me because they, you know, wouldn't take that chance. They'd take chance of putting me in front of the camera, but not behind the camera to make the decisions. So I can get how people would would start to kind of get fed up with, okay, they're they just keep getting things wrong because there are white guys and white girls that don't understand.
1: Yeah, and I'll be honest. So on top of watching all the Milan films that we did watch, I spent every day for probably the last seven days going through YouTube videos, reading articles, and there is a lot of online hate for this film. A lot. And what is interesting is, out of all of it, and I for anybody who is a member of our Facebook page or follows us on Facebook. There was one video I did find that actually from a perspective I dissecting the cultural or historical inaccuracies is really good, it's spot on. But, and what's funny is this individual who posted it, the reason why she started her YouTube channel is because of Mulan and all of her videos are about all of the inaccuracies of Mulan. She, she really does not like this film at all. <laughs> I actually had a, a good email exchange with her, um, as well because, um, rather than just go through the comments and try to engage that way, I found her email address and asked her a few questions and she responded. And And it's, what's amazing is she has a fantastic, really a very accurate thought process on why she doesn't enjoy the film and what things really bother about it. And that does let me know that, okay, film in general, unless you're watching a documentary, and even some documentaries, I don't think get it right. hundred percent of the time, it's going to be hard to find content that is going to be hundred percent spot on. I mean, history's rewritten all the time. And a lot of times, especially when you get into film, they're making choices based based on aesthetics or to afford the plot or narrative. So if those things aren't bringing you in, and you start nitpicking all of the cultural, historical, and accuracies of film. That means the movie's not working for you. And what you will find is ninety-nine percent of the time, it's just people bitching. And what's funny is her video is really good. It she articulates all her thoughts. There, there's. I learned a lot about Chinese culture just watching that. So if anybody wants to see it, I did post it on her page. It's about thirty minutes long.
0: But but and just think about this. So you're you're Chinese, you may be a Chinese American. Mulan is probably means something very different than it means to you and I. Yes. You see, Disney is going to spend two hundred million dollars on a film that is going to be Chinese, and this moment might not happen again in your lifetime. Well, Disney, the Disney Corporation, might not spend two hundred million dollars on a Chinese film again. Right. Um, and I think you know, I get upset when the new Halo game isn't that great. You know, it's like <laughs> so. So I get it. This means something to people, and when it's when it's not done incorrectly, I get it. I, I get how people who this is their tentpole moment of their culture for Disney to finally show them representation, and they kind of get there. But then they drop the ball when it comes to like people behind the screen and their representation in, with writers and directors. Um, so I get it. I get it.
1: Yeah, and I, I'm, I'm not saying I get uh, to sit here and say that any of the comments that anybody has made about this film, and trust me, there's a lot of them. There's a lot of hate on this thing. I'm not saying any of them are wrong at all. I think some do a better job of articulating their thought process than others. And there are others that I've sat down and watched and went, wow, that's that's a really good perspective and didn't think about it that way. Because even in watching her video, the one question I had for her, the, the thing that we kind of talked about was, how does, take away all the cultural inaccuracies and the historical inaccuracies, does the film still work in terms of female empowerment? And she doesn't think it, it works at all. And she had a very, just fantastic thought out process. And the thing I, I even told her was, hey, I don't think you should stop with Milan. I think you should continue doing other films because she's so good at breaking it down and talking about why something works and why something doesn't. So, But this is the thing. Here's where I think people miss the boat, though, is that they're throwing so much shade at the people behind the camera or the people in front of the camera or even Disney, et cetera. And in all of these comments, everybody puts this 1998 animated film on a pedestal everybody. So Chinese Americans, Americans, you talked about that 50%. Some people were just like, man, you you touched a classic. And I'd be in the same camp. I would have that same reaction if somebody came out and said, and I know Dwayne The Rock Johnson's thinking about it. Somebody said, hey, we're going to do Big Trouble in Little China, sequel, remake, reboot, whatever it is. I would be livid. Don't, don't touch that property. But here's the thing. Yes, the creative team isn't Chinese, but Disney assembled its first ever all Chinese cast for the film. The other thing you have to keep in mind is Disney was never going to have a script that was going to have full artistic control. So Disney They never got, do. Yeah. That's well.
0: that's carte blanche. That's yeah. yeah but anyone when who works with Disney.
1: When you're dealing yeah. with China though, they had to get the script pre-approved by the Chinese government. And they also ran the script by Chinese consultants for advice on how to approach the material. So you have to know that they did not spend two hundred million dollars thinking they were going to get all that money back in the U.S. It was not going to make four hundred million dollars in the U.S. Right? And they made
0: that mistake before yes. in '97. Um, that the was it Kundun, the Martin Scorsese film right. um, about the Dalai Lama. China didn't like that very much. Uh, The Dalai Lama isn't as um, well-liked in China as he is globally. And they've had to correct that for the last, what, almost 23 years. Yes. And and Walt Disney spent $5.5 billion in Shanghai to build a park. So they are going to be in bed with China as much as they can be
1: yeah so Um, as much as much as you and again i'm not letting the filmmakers off the hook for these inaccuracies at all but i am saying that they're not solely to blame because you have the chinese government the chinese consultants that they put with this film and even some of the controversies So take that location shooting that's the chinese government saying you can shoot here right so a lot of this stuff some of it like i said can be controlled some of it cannot the other thing to keep in mind you know is Everybody is criticizing the 22 version of Milan be, as, and it's not true. Cri- so the problem I have is when you're criticizing the material based on its own merit, great. I think that's a very valid opinion. If you're criticizing it because it just doesn't live up to your expectations of the 1998, okay. E- even I do that all the time with previous material that I love, but you got to take a step back from it, right?
0: Yeah. Because no one's going to come and steal your Blu-ray copy of Mulan from 1998 if you like this movie or you don't like Mulan 2020. Like, you're still going to have it. Like, I don't don't understand that sometimes.
1: Yeah, but here's the thing that bugs me. So here's where I will call out all of these YouTubers and, uh, you know, bloggers and everything else. Because they make two mistakes when they talk about the 1998 film. The first mistake is they say, well, 1998 got it right because it didn't make the mistake of the 2020 mulan by having all white people behind the camera let's go back and look at who <laughs> created the 1998 animated mulan it was directed by barry cook and tony bancroft i don't think they're asian no the screenplay was philip Lazebnik, chris sanders eugenia bostwick singer raymond singer and rita Xiao. now you've got one asian name one. in there so you're yep. like oh there you go. There's your cultural authenticity, correct? Not necessarily. American-born daughter of Chinese parents, Rita's other scripts include My Little Pony the movie and Toy Story 2. So she is not out there scripting historical accurate dramas. She's scripting other animated films for Disney. The other thing to keep in mind is the 1998 version, so I heard this story from a YouTuber, Um, and I believe he lived in Hong Kong, and he's talking about going to see Milan in the theater and everybody cheering and how big of a hit it was when he went to see it. It may have been in his neighborhood, but let's talk about the country as a whole. When this thing was released, it was released after a year delay. So the Chinese government did not allow it to be released at the time that it was released in America, so it's a year later. The box office income was low due to an unfavorable release date and rampant piracy in that country. Chinese people also complained about Milan's depiction as too foreign looking and the story as too different from the myths. So the Chinese people did not like the 98 animated film. All of its money was made over in the US. The, and here's something interesting. So the Baltimore Sun, May 3rd, 1999, Beijing article. But the most intriguing reason for the movie's poor reception is that some people here just don't think Disney's Milan is very Chinese. Not surprisingly, some complain that Mushu, a jive-talking dragon whose voice is provided by Eddie Murphy in the film's English-language version, is just too American. Hunan Province, after three weeks, the film only made $30,000. And only two hundred thousand of the city's fourteen million dollar population in Shanghai, or fourteen million population in Shanghai, went to see the film. So the critics and everybody in China, when the ninety eight version came out, were were basically saying the same thing they're saying about this twenty twenty version: it's culturally inaccurate, it's too American, and they don't like it. So people today, if you if you're reading articles, bloggers, YouTubers, if you're if you're now saying that in ninety eight that film was held in such high regard by the Chinese population you're full of shit
0: no it's by the American population yeah the
1: American population yes <clears throat> if you grew up in the U.S. Canada anywhere it was successful I mean it was a huge hit in the U.K. totally understand how it can it just influences your view of the film but you cannot have you cannot weigh criticism against Milan 2020 and say that Hey, one of the reasons why I just don't like it is the 98 version got it right in terms of its cultural and ac- cultural accuracy, historical accuracy. No, it didn't. No, that's misguided. 100%. That film has the same problems as this does when you're looking at it through the lens. Now, it did get some things right, just as this film does. I mean, the, the villains in the 98 Milan, inaccurate. The villains in the 2020, the Rorans, accurate. But I, I just, it irritates me when people, hey, if you have a good reason of why you don't like the 2020, great. But if you're going to sit here and say it's not as good because the 98 version was held in such high regard to the Chinese community, that's not true at all.
0: I mean, Donny Osmond is one of the voices for Shang. He's his singing voice. I mean, yeah, absolutely. it's like, come on, come on. Harvey Firestein is in 98.
1: <laughs> and, and, you know, hey, if, if, you, if you get the Milan Blu-ray 4K now, and it's always been there on DVD, Jackie Chan does uh, a music video for the uh, I'll Make a Man Out of You sequence, training sequence. Um, and I think Jackie Chan did the voice for the Chinese release. So um, I have to go back and look at that. But I, I, I know he shot a lot of music videos promotional for Disney. But that's a, that's a lot of controversy, Brad. And like I said, I again, my favorite ones that I found off YouTube, I put them both on there. And I got to say, if you've got 30 minutes, go and watch the one that we put. Um, she she does a great job of just really dissecting the film. And, and you know, here's all the stuff it got wrong. And she's she's 100 percent right on it. Um, and everybody who doesn't like it because of, you know, it just doesn't. I don't know, scratch their itch for what they were expecting in 98, you're 100% right. You have that view of it. But please, if if you're going to talk about cultural appropriation and you're going to do some kind of comparison analysis between the 98 and the 2020, you, you need to sit back and do some research before you're throwing that stuff around.
0: Who would have thought the most controversial movie we would have done is a kid's movie from Walt
1: Disney? Yeah, no kidding. I mean, we've, we've spent a good hour on this topic and, and really behind the scenes and So, Brad, it makes total sense why this film was going to be a bomb. So forget COVID for a second. I don't think this film was going to be a hit or make its money back at all.
0: Yeah, it's kind of hard to see that path to $400 million. um, Based on just everything we've talked about in the last hour, Americans are not going to like it because it's too different. The Chinese maybe will accept it a little bit more, but then behind the camera, there's no representation Um, you know, it's, it, you're, you're serving no masters at that point in time.
1: Yeah. I mean, some people accuse it of being too woke. Some people will say it's not sensitive enough. You got your, your main actress throwing some (laughs) stupid comments out there. Um, you're getting flack for where you filmed it and you're just culturally and historically inaccurate you're you're not making that money back in China and you're certainly got if if fifty percent of your audience doesn't like it because it doesn't have the musical numbers, it doesn't have the jive talking dragon, you're 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 spending two hundred million dollars and you're not gonna get any of that back. Well, you get a little bit of it back, but not not yeah. to the extent that you're getting at Beauty and the Beast Aladdin and everything else.
0: Yeah, it was this was never gonna be a billion dollars. No never. No, never. it
1: it was I would say if somebody were actually going to look at this through unfiltered perception, they would have seen the writing on the wall and said, what are you guys doing? This isn't going to work.
0: Yeah. Honestly, I don't know who is approving budgets for films, but $200 million for this movie is a lot. I mean, and I know $200 million to Disney is nothing except now. I mean, they'd like to have that $200 million back.
1: Yeah, let's... Uh... Well, that's, that's a lot of history on the film. That's a lot of behind yeah. the scenes. Let's get to the part of the film where we kind of share our opinion on it, right? So it's my pick. It, out of all the films that came out this year, it's the one that I probably struggled with the most because of all the controversy. I I paid close attention to what was going on behind the scenes. But it was also the one that the minute that they announced it was going to a streaming service and not only, you know were you gonna have to pay twenty nine ninety nine, but you weren't gonna see it in theaters, I put the money down and I was ready to go. So we're picking films that bombed this year and we're talking it this, you know, December is not a best of. We're just saying these are the movies we wanted to pick and talk about them from the perspective of this podcast of are they really a bomb? So Brad, I'm gonna kick it over to you. Like what are your initial thoughts on this movie?
0: So first I think this movie looks
1: gorgeous. Oh, Um, heck yeah.
0: Some of the landscapes and some of the, just the, the location shooting is breathtaking to the point where I'm like, holy shit, this movie looks amazing. And then I kind of factor that with, but it's joyless. Like there is zero joy in this movie at all. Like even at the very end, When you think, oh, there should be a little bit of happiness and some joy, there really isn't. It's just weird how kind of dark and, like, unsettling this movie is. There's, like, lots of action shots where people have arrows sticking out of them. And the violence is, you know, there's no blood, but it's still there. But I was just taken aback by how unfun this movie is, in a way. Um, Just, like like there's no joy um and then the action I think is is where you would want this movie to shine and I think there's some pretty good set pieces but overall I wasn't blown away by really much of the action I don't know I'm conflicted on this one because I I think it looks great um I think the main character is not a good actress in this movie um I don't I can't say whether or not she is overall but I really wasn't that impressed with her acting. Now, her action stuff I, I thought was good. Um, it's nice to see Disney kind of do some wire foo stuff as well. Um, so it's like hitting all these little buttons that I like where it's trying to pull me in and I'm trying to really like it. But at the end of the day, it's just – it's I don't know. It's just not a fun movie, I think.
1: Yeah, that's – I feel like that was my first reaction to it was that it looked – gorgeous there are some set pieces I just really enjoyed I love some of the cin- cinematography and what would I what I was worried about was watching it initially I walked away because uh, I watched it day one it came out and said that that was pretty good it it was not as bad as what everybody had made it out to be leading up to that in terms of social media etc and what I was worried about was okay I'm gonna go watch it again and I've just spent a week with all of these views and opinions on how terrible this film is. So I had 100% anticipated walking into this and going, I am really not gonna enjoy it. And when I sat down to watch it, I was surprised how much more I liked it. And it was, it's a film, so you make a really good point. We both watched the 98 animated one uh, this week as well. And you're watching this colorful musical, lots of comedy, has a very poignant message in there but it's a lot of fun. You come to this one and they chose drama and action over the musical numbers and everything else.
0: Which so, I'm okay with. I'm okay with them not having music and all that stuff.
1: Yeah, it's and I'm I'm okay with that too. It all depends on like what you're going to bring to the table. And I think here here's the thing It starts with the narration, and I'm gonna read it real quick, and I never paid attention to it until maybe reading and listening to all these people talk about how dumb it is, and how the message is really not female empowerment, and they go backwards and all this other stuff, but in the opening narration it says, there have been many tales of the great warrior Milan, but ancestors, this one is mine. Here she is, a young shoot, all green, unaware of the blade. If you had such a daughter, her chi, the boundless energy of life itself, speaking through her every motion, could you tell her that only a son could wield chi, that a daughter would risk shame, dishonor, exile? Ancestors, I could not. That tone sets up, and and that, that narrative sets up exactly what you're getting into for the next two hours. And when you pay attention to it, and if you can buy into that monologue right out of the gate, then I think you can enjoy the film and you can pick up on what it's saying. But you have to do a couple of things. You have to put the luggage you're carrying with that 98 film at the door. And for a lot of people, I know that's hard to do. Because this movie is really about a woman who is equal to all of the men around her, and is being told by a society that she cannot use the same things and be herself um, or even play you know, at the same level that a man does. And that entire focus is laid out to you even before the title card happens, right? And I, <laughs> I, I think it's amazing because even the right in the beginning, you get the mother and father afraid people are gonna call her a witch once they see your true ability. Because she is comfortable with using chi. She's comfortable with being an equal to all the men around her. And they're basically saying if she goes out into the world with that same level of comfort and showing that equality, everybody's going to call her a witch. And I thought that was kind of fascinating because it kind of reminds me how women are seen today in the workforce. I I see it every day. I'd be the first to say that as much as we've done uh, as a country to kind of promote that you still have this tinge that a confidence-focused sort of in-charged woman are seen in a negative light compared to men with the same trait.
0: Yeah. They, you know, a lot of times they're looked on, and, and I'm going to say it, as like, oh, she's a bitch. You yeah, know, strong?
1: absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. And, and that's what I think that film is trying to carve that out right at the beginning. And they're using the term witch because it rhymes with the other thing, right? <laughs> so... But if if you pay attention to the narrative, and here's the thing a lot of people will complain about is they don't like this version of Milan because in the 98 one, she learned to be a soldier in training and she was using all her ingenuity and wit and everything to overcome all the obstacles. But in this one, she has superpowers right out of the gate. That's what I hear over and over again. Um, It's the problem.
0: It's the Ray problem. Yeah. Right? Well, it's.
1: I don't know if it's a problem here because if you're basically I don't think it's
0: I don't think it's a problem. No, because the, I, I don't think The see internet it as has superpowers. a problem. With it. Yeah, it's yeah. not
1: a superpower thing. If you start the film right out of the gate with your first narration and saying that she is equal to every man that's out there and she's being asked not to be equal, I don't think that's a superpower thing. she's a warrior. She's a warrior day one. She possesses all of those traits and she's being asked not to be a warrior. That's what the film's about.
0: Yeah, and I know it says equal, but I mean she's some of those warriors. She's way better, you know. She's like not only is she equal, she's better than.
1: Well, she's not better than Donnie Yen. Let's. Well,
0: yeah. Let's but,
1: just put that out there. You
0: know, that that out <laughs> that the alligator mouth chore you remember when you're doing greater than or less than the alligator mouth is going towards Milan in a lot of those cases.
1: It yeah, but I mean she it, it, she she as a character I think starts at a place where she has a talent to be a warrior. Everybody else that is around her is being pulled into it because of the battle that is happening within the country. But her destiny is for that. And so if you have anybody else that's in that same camp as her, and I, I'd put Donnie Yen in that camp. I mean, you watch him when they do his introduction. Dude, that guy's so quick. It still amazes me. Um, and
0: The sword fight? The that, sword fight is... Um,
1: <laughs> yeah, it's, it's crazy, but I think it's interesting to start her from that perspective, and I, it's a bold choice because you know you're going to get comparisons to the 98 version and how they tackle the training montage, 98 versus this one. You don't have a song anymore. But I don't, I don't think it's a misstep to kind of say, hey, out of the gate, we're trying to show from a narrative standpoint that Milan starts from a place of equality, and this story is about her coming to terms with being yourself and cultivating the talent and skill that you have.
0: So I think a lot of times from what I know and the people's problem is narratively, she is growing as a person in this film and not as a warrior. Right. So that, you know, again, we live in this internet age where, you know, a strong woman is, is, threatening to a lot of people. So already having this strong female character, but her only growth, her only growth in this film is her understanding of family and honor and truth. That's her only, I mean, that's where she's going. She's already strong. She, yeah, of course she does get stronger, but she's already a warrior. Um, so like you said, you know, she's coming in this point where her growth isn't a physical growth. It's, literally like her values and again some people have a problem with that
1: yeah and and i I think that's a that's an interesting narrative choice what i like about it is it's different that first i don't know 15 20 minutes of the film i love the fact that they actually bring in an excerpt from the ballad of milan when they're you know she's chasing the two rabbits and then she comes back in and, and she basically recites that part of the metaphor where she's like you know the male is like this the females like this but you can't tell the difference where they're running I, I love that little nuance and touch to it but the first 20 minutes of the film narratively set it up as an entirely different starting point than the other mulan film and I, I think it's a wise choice i think it works and if you're gonna go and do a film that's more dramatic and like you said hey i'm gonna start out as a warrior but i'm gonna go through personal growth i, I think they made the right choice here i don't have a problem with that at all and i i love the fact that they give her some duality in another character with Gong Li and, and the witch. I mean, she represents the darker version of Milan and you get the feeling that she's gone through the same uh, internal struggle that Milan has gone through.
0: Yeah. And you could see possibly Milan going down that road. If she keeps getting rejected by men for X amount of time.
1: Yeah. I mean, it's I, absolutely they're,
0: clo- they're, you know, very close to each other. Um, you know, maybe Mulan one day gets fed up with, you know, having to hide the fact that she's a warrior. And she says, okay, well, now I'm going to unleash my chi.
1: Yeah, no. And, and she even says, like, she wants a place where she's accepted and the power is not vilified, right? So she, she wants to be herself. And she even says, the more power I show, the more she cultivates her own talent and skill, the more that she's crushed. Now, I'm, now I'm not exactly thrilled on how they handle Gong Li's, like, story arc, especially towards the end. No, no. I think that no. gets super <clears throat> clunky. Her turn? Um, You
0: mean her turn? That just immediately happens. Yeah,
1: and I mean she she basically says, "I'm seeing a a woman lead a man's army," and so therefore that inspires her to kind of move over to Milan's side. And i i I think I think that doesn't work. I mean, you you have this this performance, and you have this actress who can pretty much decimate everything. Even a character can decimate everything. And her story is so interesting. For the first two thirds and you get that back part and you go, I I just, it felt inauthentic. Yeah. Her decision yeah, it, making at the back.
0: Yeah. And it wraps up really quick and she's gone. And, you know, all this power that you were thinking, like, how is Mulan going to defeat this person? And it turns out she doesn't.
1: You know, yeah. It, they kind of team sac- up a little bit.
0: Yeah. But it happened like the switch happens in screenplay, like screen time, like five minutes. It's literally if that. I mean, yeah, yeah, that might be nice. Um, so yeah, you're right. It's it's clunky and it's unfortunate because I think there are some really nice narrative threads here, but I think a lot of them get to their end through clunky ways because I think we're always kind of running up against this two hour time limit and we're kind of rushing yeah. quite a bit, and then we kind of meander a bit and then we rush like it. I don't know. It's got a weird pace.
1: It it is. It's it's a great addition. I I love the character. I just wish that they had. Um, I don't know if it's spent more time, but I really feel that that's where the script doesn't work. Is at the back half, uh, not the back half, but probably the back third of um, Gong Li's character. Now, where I think the script works, I again, if you're if you're doing comparisons to the ninety eight version, what you hear a lot of times is there's no point where you see. Uh, Mulan's internal struggle and you don't see you know the relationship but be- that the strained relationship between her and her father I, I want to talk about that for a second what did you think about um Tsai Ma's performance as as Mulan's father
0: um it was fine uh I, there was a part of me that kind of thought that he wanted to say that he was proud of her before she left but like culturally he couldn't like he couldn't be a supportive father because she wasn't fitting into that womanly role and she wasn't gonna you know matchmaker couldn't find her a match and all this stuff but i think from what i could tell like he wanted her to be that way but he wasn't allowed yeah no i I, his struggle yeah and, and I, He had that struggle.
1: I think his performance portrays that. I, what, what caught me off guard was his eyes tell you everything. There are some actors that can emote very well and subtly, and it comes through the eyes or the glances, and I think he does such a good job. I mean, you you feel the struggle that he has over his daughter. Um, he's got pride, you see the pride in her ability and everything that she does but you also see the sadness that he knows that she can't live in the world um, being her true self. And I I think his performance is spot on. Yep, you lose that song that Milan sings and really just lays it out for the for the whole audience. It says, oh, look at me, I'm, I've got this struggle, I can't do this, that, and the other. And so you're left with relying on the father's performance and Milan's performance. I think, you know, uh, Tsai Ma does such, uh, he's, probably him and Gong Li are my favorite things about this, even more so than Donnie Yen. And and he stands out in every scene that he's on it. The problem is he doesn't have somebody to match him on that in, in Milan's performance. Yeah. She's just okay. Yeah, She's great on the, the action stuff. She's not good on the emotional core stuff.
0: And the sister, I know what they were going for with the sister character. They could have completely dropped that whole thread. Oh, I yeah. think it's pointless. Um, I know her sister is kind of like your stereotypical daughter, and Mulan is not. But we didn't need that. We already know that Mulan is different. We don't need something to kind of mirror up her against. Like, we, we already know she's different. We don't need that character. Oh, I agree um, 100%. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah.
1: You, you talked about the film being gore I, There's a couple of things that pop up right at the beginning in terms of just a picturesque postcard of what might be, you know, China is the travel to the training camp is just splendid through the bamboo forest, these snow peaked um, mountains. And then the other, I would say, visual painting that just pops out is when they come across the 4th Battalion and the remnants of the 4th Battalion and just the striking reds and blacks that come off the screen. This thing, even if you were to just put it on mute and not pay attention, it's playing in the background. It is freaking gorgeous. I mean, the set design, and everything else, is fantastic on it.
0: There's so much black and red. Troy was kind of like the Last Jedi. <laughs>
1: <Sorry>. <laughs> and yeah, I like the Last Jedi. So yeah, I know. Um, what do you think about the Phoenix?
0: So again, the first time I watched um, this one, I was doing the thing that probably anyone was doing was doing too much comparison to '98 and saying, oh. Mushu's now represented as a phoenix. This time I watched it, I'm like, okay, you know it's a phoenix, it's fine. Um, You know, I like it as, like, this out-of-the-way, never kind of... So, Mushu was was a catalyst for a lot of problems in 98, and that, to me, was an issue, because Mulan is not getting in trouble, Mushu is getting in trouble. Um, Here, you know, Mulan is, like, kind of... She controls her own destiny. The phoenix is just along the way with her, pointing her in the right direction and giving her guidance. But never is there a point where conflict is created by the phoenix, which I like because, you know, Mushu was kind of this troublemaker. And, you know, if you take him out of the film in 98, it's a lot... It's a different film. Here, if the phoenix isn't there, you know, it's... Yes, there's certain points that maybe she doesn't have guidance, but it's still the same movie, so...
1: Yeah, I, I, I'm i with you. I I didn't mind it. It's okay. I don't know what... Per- like, if you removed the Phoenix from this version, it doesn't harm the film. It has some interesting visual imagery that it plays in the background, and I think it looks okay. It's It serves a symbol of her, but it doesn't necessarily, to your point, drive the plot one way or another, and it doesn't hurt nor detract from it. it. It's just pretty to look at, I think.
0: Yeah, it's weird that they they kind of steered so far from dragon that they were like okay you know we can't even use a dragon at all we have to go like <laughs> phoenix like okay and they have to like hit you over the head with it like early on with the the phoenix like symbol yeah and the, that little medallion thing right. like you know this is our family symbol it's not a dragon well, it's a statue it's a f- right outside of their home yeah, i mean even yeah. before
1: the credits roll they're talking yeah. about you know the phoenix and everything else so yeah, she
0: breaks the wing and all that stuff but yeah. it's like they hit you over the head with it that this is different
1: it, it, it's a great um, narrative piece and character development within the script. Visually, it's just okay. It, it, I see a lot of people complain about it. I don't know. When I saw it, it looked great. They're using it at the end for a finale action sequence in terms of her rising up and taking on the Big Bat. And I, I think that visual works. But I it, think it
0: should have first visualized there. I think yes. they should have saved that to the end.
1: I think so. It
0: would have been better if we didn't see the Phoenix so often.
1: I was surprised on how they did take the music from the animated film and take melodies and pieces of it and put it within the orchestral soundtrack or blend it in there. I I really thought that was a nice touch. Yeah, it didn't. Yeah, I think
0: the I think the music's actually really good. Like, it's really orchestrally. Good. I think it's great. It sounds great. Again, I don't know if Mulan during a training montage or shang is just gonna bust out into song so it like it keeps you grounded in a reality that people are just busting out into songs that's my whole problem with musicals anyway Is like okay we're gonna have this dialogue and then now we're gonna sing it's like no that's not how it happens yeah. it's not how the real world works no so it, was, you know, it was
1: especially in the second time watching it i kind of found myself thinking i kind of want to get the soundtrack i did like the orchestral portion of this film. And it has, like I said, it has the melodies of the original film kind of blended in and it, and it just works. It's, it's a really good soundtrack. We are action junkies. So I want to spend some time talking about the action choreography. So we talked, we talked about the, the, the fight coordinate coordinators that were attached to this. None of them are super well-known. Obviously you've got one that has worked on a lot of Marvel movies, stunt doubles for you know Marvel characters. First of all, let's let's just get it out there. Donnie Yen. I've already said this. He's so fast. I mean, even when he gets out there and he does like his sword play or is doing any type of martial arts, that stuff's not sped up. And for his age, my god, that guy is so quick. And he plays Regal very well. I, I, we haven't really talked about his character. I think he's fine. He he's not a standout the way I think the other two are. But man, he's fast. I just. Every time I see him in that he's fast. <laughs> and it's probably a good thing he doesn't get a ton of action in this film or Jet Lee doesn't get a ton of action in film because he's gonna both those folks would put everybody to shame. Yeah. And it would really overshadow everything um, that Milan or, or anybody else would Absolutely. do.
0: Absolutely. Yeah, you can't you can't let that cat out of the bag because then Milan's not gonna look as impressive.
1: No, then you're just gonna wanna watch a Donnie M <clears throat> film, right? Yeah. So, um you talked about the wire foo and the wire book, so This film has some interesting wusha elements to it. What did you think about the introduction of the villains? So you've got them riding a horseback. They're invading the first garrison. You get this camera movement where they're coming off the horse. The camera kind of tilts, follows them up there. Did you you like that style?
0: I thought it was a little overproduced um, for this. Again, I should like it. And I don't know why I don't in this movie. But... It seemed like it was, I don't know, I was being painted too in a way. Same with the wire foo. It's like people kind of seeing that done before and then trying it themselves. It just looked a little amateurish, to be honest with you.
1: Well, hey, make no mistake. Um, the wushi on this film, the wire work, the wire foo, the martial arts, the punching, the kicking to the face, it's all been done better.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Yes, yes, 100 This is
1: not your go to action film. However,. I actually think it's some of the uh, camera tilts, the angles, everything else do separate this from the common stuff that's out there. I, I did enjoy that introduction. It's not throughout every action sequences. They use it here and there. It's used in the introduction of, um, you know, really our, our two main villains and how those assassins scale the wall. It, it's sprinkled out um, throughout the entire film. I think it does enhance it. I think when the martial arts sequences do happen, so your hand-to-hand combat, etc., and your swordplay, it's good. It's nothing groundbreaking, but the camera work does make it a bit inventive and fun. And I think the action sequences have a good balance. I mean, this is this is an American-directed film, so you're never gonna get the Hong Kong stuff or even the Yun wu Ping action cinematography, etc. Um, hey, you're
0: turning it you're turning it down quite a bit, and this is like baby's first action movie in a way it is Yeah, it is. is not-
1: it, it's gonna have your, your quick cuts i mean every american action film is gonna have your quick cuts but um it's a good balance between your quick cuts and letting the camera see the movement of the choreography so i almost feel like you've got your born identities on one end which is just all quick cut can't see what's going on you got your your hong kong action films of the 80s which we're gonna put the camera right here and we're gonna watch you for five minutes just kick each other in the face in some fluid motion this kind of fills right in the middle with a, a little bit of a stylized camera movement to accentuate what's going on. And I, I thought it was competent. It was good. Again, it's not groundbreaking. I remember it. So that's, that's gotta account for really, something.
0: really. I, mm, I, I don't as much as I would want to.
1: I, I'll tell you what I remember. I remember the horse action.
0: Yes. Yes. That stuff was yes. great.
1: I really like what they were doing with the archery on the horses. <laughs> So we talked about the superpower. So Milan does have one superpower. She's really good at kicking sharp objects in front of people. Yeah. Or into them, I guess we should say. So she does have that. What did you think? So in the animated film, they do recreate the snow scene where, you know, they're trapped. They're going to start an avalanche, and that's how they're going to get out of that. What did you think of that whole sequence?
0: I thought it was pretty cool. Um, Again... You see a hillside full of snow in the background when you first see this. You're like, okay, how are they going to do the, the avalanche? So, which is kind of unfair to this movie because, again... You know, you, com- <laughs> you know it's coming. You um, know it's coming. You know, they miss her so much with the trebuchet that I'm like, were they even trying? Or Were they even trying to hit her with the thing?
1: Or I don't they know what they were the- aiming for.
0: <laughs> like, they miss by like a mile. And yeah. I'm like, okay... They deserve to die through by avalanche because you can't, I don't know. It was just so convenient that there was like the bunch of stormtroopers shooting that rock at her that it was like, okay, obviously they wanted to have this scene and this is the best they could come up with. So it was a little disappointing just by that, but it looked impressive.
1: It looked good. I wish they hadn't done it. I know they were trying to, you know, copy that beat from the animated film. I think the problem is though you got to suspend disbelief. So you've got Milan in between the soldiers that have all huddled up and then you got a garrison on the ridge. She's right in the middle. So she's going to jump on the horse, go pick up helmet helmets and then ride behind them without them seeing. Without them seeing, but they're they're sitting there watching her do all this stuff. So you have to suspend all of that. I wish they'd come up with a different way to do it, but what they put on screen, if you can suspend disbelief and like you said, it looks cool how they did it, I think is, is fine. But I, that is the one problem I have with the film is because as soon as you see that sequence, you know, what's coming and how they execute it. It's not, it's kind of like, well, I don't like how you put the pieces together. It looks like it almost would have been,
0: it almost would have been better. Like, like a fake jump scare like you, <laughs> when someone's in like the yeah. you know the, the the medicine cabinet and then they shut the door and there's no one behind them and you're like oh i could have swore there was going to be a jump scare there but there wasn't yeah. like if you would have showed all the snow and then just moved on you'd be like oh okay i see what you did there
1: yeah but i mean again it it's serviceable i think everything leading up to that was actually really cool again you get the 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 horse action sequences with the archery stuff like that i think it's all fantastic and then when she jumps in and is kicking things and spears at people it looks I great think
0: the, I think the large scale battle stuff is impressive um It is It's not it's not Lord of the Rings impressive but you know we're we're talking about two different types of movies but I think it it looks good and you know it's the the fact that Mulan was able to like circumvent a whole like army and gather helmets obviously is problematic but you know besides that it's cool so
1: yeah, and even when you get to the final big battle scene and they have to split up, and you've got the troops you know, fighting everybody within the hallway, which again, you've got your wuxia running on the walls, you have a bunch of roof jumping. I think it all works, and I think it looks really good. Uh, and even the final battle scene I, I think is good too. It's, it's all serviceable. Again, it's not groundbreaking. I, th- I think it's those stylistic camera flourishes that add to it if, if that wasn't there, I, I would have actually been a little bit bored with some of the action.
0: yeah, I again, the action is good, but I wouldn't say any of it is necessarily great, but it's fine. You yeah. know, good, fine. But I would never say great for any of it.
1: no, I, I agree with you. Um, which might
0: be you know, when you spend two hundred million dollars and you're making an action film and your action is just good, I don't that might be kind of offensive.
1: I think so. Again, looking at the director, I think their concentration was on the production. I think she was trying to hit the emotional beats and concentrate on the character development. The action had to be there, but you obviously have a director that isn't competent. I don't want to say is it competent, doesn't have the experience to probably handle that size of action choreography. And even the people that were bringing in, I mean, it's obviously Disney Marvel type people who are working at it behind the scenes. And again, it's good. It's just not groundbreaking. It's serviceable. And, like, and that's if you look at who's working on it behind the screen, that you got the best version of what you were going to get with that type of talent.
0: I think all these people overachieved. To be <laughs> honest with you.
1: That's true. That is true. That's a good comment. Um, you know, speaking of the end of the film, I thought it was kind of cool that the original voice actress from the animated Milan shows up. And that's none other than Ming-Na Wen, who, speaking of The Mandalorian, is also on that show. Yes. Um, But, you know, she shows up at the end to introduce our 2020 Milan to the Emperor. I thought that was a nice little touch. I, I, I do appreciate that this film did so many different things from the original, but it still sprinkled in elements of the original here and there for, you know, its fans. And then you get to the end of the film. She goes back home obviously to honor her family what did you think about the ending because in this one it's it is left with i don't want you to call it a cliffhanger but you know she's invited to be a warrior for the emperor she says no has to go back home they come back and ask her again did you get the feeling she's going to accept at that time
0: yeah yeah and especially knowing when i knew a little bit about the ballad you know they kind of had to twist her arm a little bit <clears throat> so i i want to go back just one thing, another difference. I like how there's no love story. Um, Oh, absolutely. I feel like, you you know, every time there's a strong woman or a woman lead character at some point in time, she's got to fall in love. Um, This Mulan is not interested in that. And I appreciate that. They just let her be herself. And at the end, she doesn't need to fall in love. Um, It's okay to, (laughs) to, You know, get close to a male character or, you know, and, and, and not fall in love with them and just have that relationship with them. Um, I appreciated that because I thought they were going to for the whole time. I'm like, OK, at the end, they're going to get together. And then even at the point where they're saying goodbye, I'm like, OK, then here's the here's that moment. And they don't. And I'm like, oh, OK, I was completely off with that. So because she's obviously very cold to him. Um, they even do the, the, the take a bath scene. Um, and you know, again, it kind of plays out similarly, but a a little bit different, but, um, but on the ending itself, um, you know, I like that she is torn between country and family and the fact that she wants to go and kind of admit to her father what she has done because, she has done wrong. She had lied, stolen, and could have brought dishonor onto the family. Um, turns out, you know, she comes clean, and her father is proud of her. And it, you know, she, they have a moment together. I, I like, I like that.
1: The second, everything you said is spot on. I love the ending to this film. I love that there's no love interest. I, it would have taken away from how the narrative starts. And watching it the second time i really think that as much as this film is about milan it's just as equally important about her father because her father starts with the narration and is basically saying i have this totally gifted talented daughter and yet i have to remind her consistently that she can't use those gifts or be the person that she should be out in public and then you get to the end and she's invited, you know, to be a warrior for the Emperor, and they end it on a note where she's smiling, she's looking at Phoenixes in the background, you know she's gonna go take it. And you know, here's here's the biggest thing is that one of one of the main criticisms of this film is that Milan is a gifted girl. She she doesn't learn anything, right? And only gifted girls are special. And that Milan in the end is just fighting for her country and she embodies the status quo. So And and this is the thing that everybody brings up when they talk about this film. They always go back to the 98 version and how they treat the two characters. So in the animated film, she learns to fight at the same pace as men, uses intelligence, femininity to win. Ingenuity gets her up to pole to grab the arrow. Right. So that's that's what everybody says. Hey, look at this version of Milan. That's the main key. She throws the weights around there, climbs it up. She doesn't just use brute strength, everything else. Right. And even at the end of the film, you got the guys dressing up as girls too. So they're adopting to her ways. That's what everybody points out to that film. And in 2020, we have a character that starts out as a trained martial artist. She has a gift and relies on strength and focus to succeed. So whereas in the animated film, she uses ingenuity to get up the pole to get the arrow. In this film, she accepts her gifts and talents and uses determination and her own abilities to get up the mountain carrying the water. And everybody says, nope, don't like that. I want her to use her smarts to solve the problem.
0: Because girls can't be strong. Because
1: girls can't be strong. That criticism is what comes out. So 1998 seems to be telling young females to rely on what you know to succeed in a man's world. And embrace your feminine side since you can't compete with focus, strength, and superior martial arts skills, right? And what happens, however, is, you know well, okay, if I do that, but what if, what if I'm a gifted warrior? How, you know, what am I supposed to do? Um, And then in 2020 seems to say, okay, you're an equal out of the gate if you have these talents and skills. And here's where I really think the narrative comes together and why I think this story is as much about the father as it is Milan, because he starts the movie talking about having to tell her that she's not an equal, even though she is, and she has to hide her equality and everything else. And he has this line, which every time I hear it, I've heard it twice now, and I'm like, yep, little tear right there. But when he says, you were always there, yet I see you for the first time. And he's basically saying, you have always been an equal, but now I'm seeing you for the first time. And that's where I think the message really works for this one. And I can get behind everybody's criticism over how you handle this in 98 versus 2020. It's two different messages. And I think the one in this film has just as much validity and empowerment as it does in the 98 one. Um, Because it's basically saying, don't hide your talents and ability to match men at every level and you can be who you are. And I I like that message. But yeah, the the only thing that I think it fumbles on is that in the end, it's still a little messy on that delivery because you have Milan and the witch who are fantastic warriors, they're equal to every man out there, at the end of the day, still serve men. That's where it falls apart a little bit. So um, Milan serves the emperor, the witch serves Bori Khan, and they serve their ambitions. Now they try and uh, fix it a little bit because it keeps saying Milan is protecting the people of the kingdom, but it's always the people of the kingdom and defending the emperor. And she's always saying it's my duty to fight for my kingdom and protect the emperor. So the emperor and the kingdom are always lodged together. But, you know, the witch is fighting for Bori Khan and and his ambitions. That's where I think it falls apart a little bit on that message. But if you're looking at sort of the story arc between the father at the beginning and his narration and that line at the end, I I think it it sticks the ending, man.
0: Yeah. Women are are good enough to, uh, you know, be in the building, but not enough to be the boss, I guess, is what I was trying to say.
1: Yeah and again, it's, hey, I get it. 98, how they handle that topic of her, you know hiding um, the fact she's a female, how she uses wit and ingenuity, cunning and all those other things to win the day and, and sort of embrace that. I think that's a great message. but I really like the message of this one, too, which basically says you're an equal right out of the gate, and your comfort and your um, ability to accept that is really what's going to determine your success. And then hearing the probably the most prominent male in her life at the end of the film go, you've always been there. It's just the first time I'm seeing it. I think it it really just hammers that message home and, and it just tells the narrative, man.
0: Yeah, yeah. I, The ending really brings it all together for me. And you, like me, have a daughter. So, you know, these films are important to us um, because we want to have strong females um we want them to be able to do whatever they want to do um and if they feel like they can do it better than men they go right ahead absolutely Um, so yeah And, and that goes for people who don't have daughters too like we should always tell women that they can do whatever they want and if it's better than men
1: it's better than men and if you hurt some feelings along the way then you know so be it sure well anything else about the 2020 version
0: um you know Again, I like the fact that they changed some things. Oh, and I think a yeah. lot of the choices they made actually make it a better movie for people like you and me. Maybe for kids, it's going to be a little different. Like, my son has zero interest in this movie right now. Because it's, like, a lot. It's, it's not as, um, you know, easy to digest. And I think... Um, that says something about it that it's you know a little bit more complex, and I think it's made for people who are a little older. Obviously, it's PG-13, so yeah. it's it's not going to play to I think the, it's
1: made for that demographic, that, that yeah. 13-ish right there. Yeah,
0: it's not going to play to the 4- and 5-year-olds, but it'll play to the 15- and 16 year old. You know, it's going to play to people who are coming of this age to where they're coming in to find their own strength. So I think it's important that it plays a little older because I think this movie is trying to tell not just girls, but boys themselves like, Hey, you know, you're going to come into your moment and you're going to find your strength and you want to be yourself and all this stuff. So it's, you know, it's got those cute messages, but it's also a good movie. Um, I wish I liked it a little bit more, but I think it's, it's a solid movie.
1: Yeah, I agree. Um, I want to touch. So, you and I, we've we watched the animated one. We've talked about that. I mean, what, what can you say? It, it's, it's a lot of fun. I, I love the animated film. Um, did you happen to watch the sequel to the animated film that came out in 2004 called Milan 2?
0: I've, I've seen Milan 2 a few times. Um, it is straight hot garbage. But unfortunately, I, I have to watch it um, sometime. Yeah, it's... Uh, boy...
1: Wow, I've never seen it until this week. And I got to tell you, internet, if you're upset at Disney, that's what you should be upset about, Milan 2. I mean, so Milan, the animated film, is about a, a female who goes and defends all of China, right? Milan 2020, same kind of plot. Mulan, this is the plot for Milan 2. While preparing for their wedding, yep. Shang and Milan are suddenly sent off on a secret mission. Mushu is determined to drive a wedge between the couple after he learns that he will lose his guardian job if Milan marries into the Li family. And the gang of three falls in love with three princesses that are promised to Qigong, China. So that, that's Milan too. It, it's it's a relationship. Hmm. I mean, it's taking this very powerful, um, just fantastic character, and it becomes a a couple's Because I I don't know what you—it's hot hot garbage. (laughs) It's it's all about their relationship.
0: The problem is, it takes a strong character, two strong characters. Yeah. And and it says, you know, their relationship is so weak that if we throw a little bit of turbulence into it, they might not get married. It's like,
1: but why would you do a film like that after creating such, what I think is a. A great story, a great narrative. Draft these great characters, and then just go. Now we're we're coming to couples therapy for eighty minutes or so.
0: Yeah, it's it's it. Yeah, it turns Barbie real quick.
1: Oh um, man, it's horrible. I And please, if if any of you are subjecting your children to this hot garbage, stop right now, Brad. It, I'm telling you right now, stop. I know. I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm trying, quit. man. Just just stop. So. The other one that I had a chance to watch was um, 2009's Mulan Rise of a Warrior. So here's, here was my thought process. Everybody is talking about Mulan 2020 and how stupid it is um, because it just it wasn't the animated film. And when you spend an entire week over how inaccurate Mulan 2020 is, okay, cool. There is a big production 2009 version that China put out and it is the closest film to the actual ballad of milan so i'm i have it hadn't watched it it was sitting there wrapped up so i'm like oh lucky me i get i have an excuse to watch this now have you ever seen this brad
0: i have not and until you told me about it i hadn't heard of it
1: okay so let me say this it is pretty fantastic i'll i'll, I'll it's really good now okay it's joway n- <laughs> you've seen shaolin soccer right Oh, absolutely. Okay, so the female in Shaolin Soccer, the love interest of Stephen Chow, she's Mulan. She is the perfect embodiment of this character, 100%. She nails it. Like, I can't think of Mulan anymore without thinking of Wei. She has the right balance of toughness and vulnerability. Like, this movie, the reason why it's so good is because of um, Zhao Wei. The action scenes really take a backseat to the drama. They're not – they're just – Mulan is better. let me, let me just put it that way. It's directed by Jingle Ma. but the action scenes are not memorable at all. It's your typical war time action choreography. There's no flourished fighting styles. It's typical military style battles. The color palette is the extreme opposite of both Mulan films, the 98 and the 2020. It's very dark gray. It's very realistic, right? yeah the box art you
0: showed me look was like very black and gray and brown so yeah
1: I mean that, that's the color palette of this film. Um, JC Chan is actually in it that's the son of Jackie Chan and he's surprisingly good in this as well he, he plays um, an individual who comes from her village and he knows her secret right out of the gate and is helping her hide it for the 10-year campaign so again this is about Mulan in that 10 to 12-year time period and her leading all of these um really soldiers and everything around all of China and working her way up to being uh, within the emperor's good graces. There are a couple of sequences that just stand out in this thing. One of them is after a battle and Mulan and uh, one of her compatriots have to clean the blood off the soldier's tags. They're going through the battlefield and pulling them off. It's extremely powerful. And then there's another sequence where Mulan, in order to Hide the fact that she's a female. She admits to stealing something, so they're like, "Oh, stealing—that means you're going to get executed." So the night before, she somebody visits her and gives her like a bowl to drink out of, and her performance of crying into this bowl as she's drinking it and trying to accept her fate—that she's not even die on the battlefield—and she's talking about that. Man, it is good, good dramatic stuff. I mean, that she's acting the crap out of that scene, and it's (laughs) awesome. But she carries this whole thing, and um. Like I said, Jingle Mall doesn't, doesn't dazzle anybody with cinematography, it, it's competent direction, but this film is really good strictly because of the character development of Mulan in the script um, and Way's performance. And even the Rorons, which are the villains of this, they, they have some depth to them. They're not black and white, but for anybody who is looking for an alternative to a live action version, and you say, okay, the 2020 version of Mulan didn't do it for you, Go look for um, Milan Rise of a Warrior from 2009. It's so good. I highly recommend it. Outside of that, I don't think we watched any other Milan stuff, did we? Oh, boy.
0: I'm Milaned out.
1: (laughs) Well, now it's time for the question, man. Um, Is Milan a bomb?
0: I would say Milan is not a bomb. It's serviceable, and there's a lot of stuff I like. I wish I liked it more, but there are a lot of things to enjoy in this movie first and foremost again it looks amazing this film looks like 200 million dollars and some of the landscapes are breathtaking so um if you can put 98 in the back seat and just go in and watch this movie as this movie um i think there's a lot to enjoy so it is not a bomb
1: okay i'm i'm gonna i'm gonna take it a step further i think you're 100 percent right so One of my favorite books, the thing that I've read cover to cover, I don't know how many times over the years, Zen Flesh, Zen Bones. So it's, you know, Zen parables, Zen writing. So number one, the first parable is called a cup of tea. So Nanin, a Japanese master during the Meiji era, received a university professor who came to inquire about Zen. Nanin served tea. He poured his visitor's cup full and then kept on pouring. The professor watched the overflow until he no longer could restrain himself. It is over full, no more will go in. Like this cup Manon said, you are full of your own opinions and speculations. How can I show you Zen unless you first empty your cup? I think that is the perfect way to describe this film. You have to leave the baggage at the door. Yes, the 98 film is fantastic. It's not going away. They're not breaking down the door and stealing your copy. There are so many plays, movies about this character This is just another one of them. It's another interpretation. And if you can get past that, it's not a bomb at all. Now, is it a a problematic film? Absolutely. We just spent an hour going through all of this stuff that was going on behind the screens. Um, And I I don't fault anybody who doesn't like this film for any of those reasons. The only thing... And if you don't want
0: to support it financially because of those reasons, I 100% agree.
1: I'm with you. I'm in your corner. I mean, that's your right to do. I do not think it's good... Um, criticism or comparison to come back and say that the 98 film did X better or Y better or the 98 film was received better in China. It just wasn't. But here's the thing. I mean, Mulan is not the best movie of 2020, but it's not a bomb. It's a really good film, in my opinion. Um, And once you get past the fact that Donnie Yen and Jet Li are not doing Donnie Yen and Jet Li stuff, which I had to on my first watch um, and understand that it's different than the animated film, if you can dump the tea out of your cup and (laughs) you you're gonna enjoy this thing and i really think if you can look at it from the perspective of the messages trying to talk about and really take the journey that the father goes through i I think you really get something out of this it's not a bomb at all i i it's one of the most I, i will say the second time i watched it i enjoyed it a lot more looking at it from a critical eye and once you get past your expectations i i think it's good entertainment
0: I, I will second that. I would like this movie a lot more the second time I watched it.
1: Yeah. Uh, and I will definitely watch it a third time. It And for anybody who has not seen this on 4K, when we talk about how gorgeous it is, it is even more gorgeous on, on 4K. So, man, that was, that was a lot of Mulan. I did not think we would talk that much about Mulan. Like you said, I didn't think I would go down the rabbit hole on all this Mulan stuff, but I did. And I'm happy for yeah. it.
0: Of course you knew you were going to, Troy.
1: Well, yeah. As soon as I found out I had that 2009 Mulan Rise of a Warrior, I'm like, well, we're adding that to the list. So, Brad, December, we keep on trucking, right? So, I started out with my theatrical pick. Are you picking a home media release from this I, year? I, I am. Oh, okay. And I I will say this movie just um, celebrated its
0: 40th anniversary.
1: Ooh, the timing.
0: It came out on 4K this year. Um, beautiful release um, it is from 1990 or from 1980 so that's 40 years ago okay Mike Hodges directed Flash Gordon Troy Flash wow. Gordon
1: soundtrack by Queen
0: yes you cannot forget the soundtrack is by Queen
1: a lot of people rushed to get this thing out in 4k this year so um, I think Arrow did a couple of releases. And um, I can't remember the set I had. The the is it Eureka? I'll We'll we'll talk about it next yeah. week. But you and I both bought this film the day it came out on 4K, and we both have two different releases for it. So it'll be super interesting to dive into this one. So this is what you consider to be the best bomb that was released this year on home media, right?
0: Yes, exactly.
1: That's <laughs> going to be awesome, and hopefully we, we're going to try and wrangle a guest for this one. So we're going to keep that a secret. Um, but we are trying to get a new person on the show that we know um, loves this film. And this might be in their wheelhouse too, especially for, um, I don't know, the podcast that they do. So, more on that. It's a big surprise. But um, if anybody wants to get a hold of us, Brad, and share their thoughts on Milan and tell <laughs> us how right or wrong or how woke or unwoke we are, <laughs> I mean, how do they how do they share um, their thoughts and also give recommendations on movies that we should be talking about in 2021?
0: Um, so Twitter is at um, NotABombPod. Um, Instagram, NotABombPodcast. Um, our Gmail account is NotABombPod at gmail.com. Or you can go to our website, NotABombPodcast.com and hit the Contact Us button. Um, leave us um, suggestions, comments there. If you like what you hear and you want to leave us a review on Apple iTunes uh, or Apple Podcasts, that would be spectacular, too. I'm just happy that you listen, so I don't really care if you leave us a review or not, but, you know, it does make us feel all warm and tingly inside. So, uh, Troy, what else we got?
1: No, I just, if anybody wants to watch any of the videos that we talked about today, I have been trying to put them on our Facebook page, uh, Not A Bomb Podcast, so search that out. And we're gonna try and do that sort of going forward. So any of the material that we run across, be it YouTube or articles, we'll try and throw links up there, um, just so you know you can share your thoughts on it as well. And like Brad said, I mean, if, if you like what you hear, leave a review. We're just happy you interact with us. We get to, a lot of great emails, texts, suggestions. Um, we're building a little bit of a community and it's awesome to interact with all of you. And we're really excited about talking about some of the films that we got in January, because what we found out when we were sort of putting that month together, all of it's pretty much listener requests. So we're, we're going to dive right into that. But December is all about, you know, some of the things that have come out this year that we wanted to highlight and uh, ask the question, is it a bomb? So obviously first one out of the gate Milan, we're both on the same page, not a bomb. So I'm excited about that.
0: Hey, I like something. Hey, (laughs) what else, man? Oh, you know, that's it. We spoke, we spoke, literally over two hours about milan tonight so if if your money was on us going over two hours on milan consider yourself a winner.
1: yes Holy uh man. so i don't know if you're listening in the morning the afternoon or the evening if you broke this sucker up into 30 minute segments or you just powered through the full two hours with us thank you we're super appreciative that you listen to us and i hope you have an awesome december let's get down to business to defeat the hunt Troy. all right have a good day folks talk to you